Welcome, everybody. This is episode 12 of the Tucson Hockey Podcast. I'm Ryan DeJoe, the hockey director for the Junior Roadrunners, and the podcast is brought to you by Altitude Home Loans and Danny Plattner. Danny Plattner is our top sponsor. He runs the Adult League, good friend of the program. Make sure and look at dannyplattner.com and get a hold of him for any of your mortgage or refinance needs. It's something that Coach Dan and I have both used and very happy with what we got. And I had the lowest rate that the title agent had seen when I recently purchased a house. So that's the best endorsement I can give. And Danny and the Adult League has always been a good friend of the program. Danny Plattner, he is the vice president and senior loan officer with Altitude Home Loans, and they are an equal housing lender. All right. Today on the podcast, we're going to do a little Western Conference preview for the upcoming NHL season, which already starts this Wednesday. And joining me today, we have Coach Daniel Lusher and Coach Trent Boyce, two fans of West Division teams to shop it up today. So Coach Dan, Coach Trent, thanks for taking some time today and let's shop it up some. Hey, thanks for having us, Coach Ryan. I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks All for right. having me, Coach Ryan. You got it. It's, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm excited to do this podcast. It's going to be a fun one. I'm going to try and cover all the divisions with some of our various coaches who are fans of various teams. So, But when you look at the West, w- when you start right away, it's very top-heavy. And that's the first glance, is that you have the Blues and the Avalanche and the Golden Knights. And then it's the Wild the Kings, the Sharks, the Coyotes, and the Ducks. So the Blues and the Avalanche and the Golden Knights have seemed to push themselves not only top of the Western Conference, but the top of the NHL in their rosters. I mean, the Avalanche, they had goaltending issues last year, but they were as good as anybody. Same thing with the Golden Knights. They were right there in the Western Conference Finals. The Blues were the defending cup champs the last time the season looked like every other season we have. Uh, the short season dynamic is a big thing, but so... Coach Dan, Coach Trent, let me put that to you first. Are those three the clear-cut number one, two, and three teams by the time we get to the playoffs in the West? I'll let Coach Trent take this first. Um, I, I, I Looking at it from paper and what how they performed last year, I believe they are. But I think there's some, some teams like the Ducks, the Kings, that have a lot of young talent. And they may surprise us throughout the year if, if they grow, which I, I believe they will, but they have to grow a lot to be able to get to that NHL caliber level. Um, how, how do you feel about that, Dan? Uh, I think you're right. There's there's no doubt in my mind that Colorado, Vegas, and uh, St. Louis are the top of the division. I mean, it's, it's going to be a one, two, three thing. From there, you can pick who you want in that order. But I think those three are pretty much a lock for a playoff spot. I don't think there's any debating that. And when you talk about the Golden Knights, so for me, the Golden Knights, I think are a little bit of a regression candidate. Now, that seems a little counterintuitive because of how good they are. I just think that they really, yes, you sign Alex Petrangelo, you hang around with uh, Robin Leonard, and you still have Marc-Andre Fleury. But at the same time, they traded away some really good players. So you have to trade away Paul Stastny for Carl Dahlstrom and a fourth-round pick. Paul Stastny, very good number two center, a guy who's been around. He's been deep in the playoffs. You send him away for nothing. Nate Schmidt, a guy you send away basically for nothing. You send him to Vancouver for basically nothing. 
just because you wanted to get the money. And yes, you sign Alex Petrangelo, who's getting up there in years a little bit, but still one of the top end defensemen we have in the league. But Nate Schmidt was a guy who, I mean, he's a he's a top pair defenseman, if you ask me. And he was a top pair defenseman on that team. Now, when your top two defensemen are Shea Theodore and Alex Petrangelo now going forward, sure, most teams in the league are going to jump on that in a heartbeat and say, we'll figure out the rest. And Leonard is going to start the season on the shelf. Marc-Andre Fleury uh, as the backup. Maybe he's happy, but I think he's looking to show somebody he's still a guy you want to trade for. And then Coach Dan, they still have your guy, Alec Martinez. Maybe your guy also, Braden McNabb, still on the roster. Yeah, so to a lesser not, extent. <laughs> right. And and Zach Whitecloud came along last year and was pretty good. So you've lost some forward depth on this team, but still. Stone, Pacioretty, Carlson, Riley, Marcheseau, Alex Tuck, and... The X factor, I think, for this team is what do you get out of young Cody Glass, who's now got to kind of step in and be a Paul Stasny kind of player. So do you think the Knights are better this year or worse this year than they were last year? Uh, quite frankly, uh, going back to the beginning comment that you made, I don't think they're going to regress. I think they just stayed status quo. I mean, yeah, you'll, you'll say Petrangelo's a wash or even better than Nate Schmidt that they sent out. But all things considered, they didn't address the major sticking point from what was their uh what was it finals or conference finals loss in the playoffs which was they don't have that number one guy in the middle they don't have a number one center i mean if you look at their projected roster right now i'm I'm using the athletic for for projected rosters their top line center right now is either chandler stevenson or william carlson and quite frankly none of those guys are going to get get you through a playoff series or through a championship they'll get you through one or two playoff series but I just I think they stayed status quo other than other than the Petrangelo thing, Um, so I don't see them as too improved or too regressed. They're just kind of right where they were for me, and to me, that's not a championship team. Coach Trent, no, I I definitely agree with Dan there. I think they're um, they're status quo team. I think there's there'll be a lot of good things that'll come out of the team, but I don't think they necessarily uh digress or prove they're going to stay about the same and um it i think it comes down to um just how the team progresses through the year and deals with this this covid bubble that we're still dealing with so i know that was taking a lot out of some of the players um it'll be interesting to see i, I haven't reviewed how angel is going to deal with it for the 2021 season but i know there was some um issues with players missing their family and, and you got to keep your mind in playing, playing hockey for the whole entire season. So it'd be interesting to see how that pans out. It's easy for us to say and their status quo is really good. I mean, don't get me yeah. wrong. It, when you, yeah, yeah. When you don't. eat filet mignon for dinner every night, no one's going to want to hear about you complaining. Yeah. And I say that with no disrespect intended. I mean, Vegas is a very, very, very good team. However, you saw it with Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan, and those star-level players were able to shut down Vegas's star-level players. And you had, obviously, an unreal uh, playoff series from Hudobin and Net to keep Vegas off the, off the board, but they didn't have that guy that was going to change the game, that was going to take over the game and just will it into existence, will that playoff win into existence. 
And I don't think they went out and got that guy. I mean, Petrangelo is a great defenseman, but he's not somebody that's going to take over a game from an offensive standpoint and push the pace. He's going to be solid. He's going to give you great defense. He'll give you a booming slap shot from the point. But he's not going to make the play in tight on the net. He's not going to break through three defensemen and break open a game. So, again, very, very good team. I wish my team was as good as they are. I just don't see them taking the next step this year. Well, let's close the loop on Vegas a little bit by asking the question, is Shea Theodore a top-pairing defenseman day in, day out, starting this season? Trent? Um, I, so I, I watched Shea Theodore at the Ducks um, when, right before he got uh, taken away by, by Vegas during the draft. And I thought he was uh, progressing very well as a young hockey player in the NHL. And when I watched him in Vegas go through the playoffs and grow significantly throughout throughout the playoffs and become one of those caliber defensemen. So I think he's going to be one of the top defensemen um, on the top pairing for Vegas. He, he has a lot of hockey, hockey smarts. I can see that the thought process in his head as I watch him play. Well, I think... I got Coach Dan, go ahead. No, I don't really have much to add to that is about what I was going to say. Shea Theodore has worked, him, worked his way into that top-pairing defenseman uh, echelon, without a doubt, in my opinion. Uh, he was phenomenal in the last playoff series. I really, really enjoyed watching him play. I agree. I, I thought he was really good in the playoffs. I think him and Petrangelo are guys you can play 30 minutes a night. They're used to it. And I think that makes them – I think it makes them more scary in the playoffs than anything because of the kind of team they have i i think it's going to i think you're going to have some growing pains with Cody Glass and with some cohesion on some of the lower d pairs even with Petrangelo and Theodore themselves and they're going to kind of have to figure out the bottom six again because they've had so much movement with some of those players you know does Alex Tuck step up and in the top six uh he was playing on the third line but doing a great job so i think they got to sort some things out but i wouldn't be surprised if come playoff time they've kind of figured it out and start to look really good, especially when Robin Leonard's back. All right, let's move on to the Colorado Avalanche. My first question here is, is this the best roster in the National Hockey League? Coach Dan? Absolutely. Especially with Tampa missing Kucherov, which can go into at a different point. But yes, uh, hands down, that that roster is so deep, and it doesn't even include Bowen Byram yet, who we saw in the World Junior Championships could take over games. Um with his skating and his speed and his stick and his stick work. Uh, but looking at McKinnon, Kadri, Comfer, Pierre, Edward Belmar down the middle, you've got uh, Rantanen, Landis Gog, Nechuskin, Donskoy, Jost. You know, all, all those are just phenomenal wingers. Um, JT Comfer, I mean, really good depth guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, perfect third and fourth line role guys that are going to chip in when they need to. Uh, if Nathan McKinnon on the off chance has a, has a bad night, which isn't going to happen often. Uh, those guys can definitely pick up the slack. The only hole that I see in their roster is their goaltending. And in, it's been made you know, into a conversation throughout the, the offseason, and I definitely agree with it. I don't necessarily think Grubauer's the guy, but when you've got so much offensive power, does he need to be? And, and I don't think the answer to that is is yes. So well, I'm not um, going to let you off the hook quite so easy, Coach Dan. Let's say Tampa has a healthy Kucherov. Is Colorado's roster still better? Oh, 
I'd say no on the power of Vasilevsky. Okay. Coach Trent. I, yeah. What do you think? I, I agree with Dan completely. Uh, I, I think Avalanche is going to be a very difficult team to play against. They have a, a lot of talent on that team, and it's going to take them, I think it's going to take them pretty deep into the playoff season. What I look at in Colorado, still a very young roster that skates well. You know, you got to play them back to back nights, is how the schedule is going to break out this season. You're going to have a lot of games in a short amount of time. I, I, I'm going to pick them to win the division. I, we're going to get to predictions later. Not that I, you know we have huge spoiler alerts on this show, but I, I just think that that dynamic kind of lends to the younger teams a little bit without a lot of spacing. They're just going to show up, and they're just going to skate teams. And there's going to be a lot of third periods on the back-to-back that teams just can't skate with them anymore. Like you know They'll be able to maybe do what they can to limit their chances, but come the third period, which is the sixth period you're playing in a 24-hour span, I just don't see teams being able to stay up with them. And again, Bowen Byram, Coach Dan mentioned him. For the Western Conference, you got to think you better strike while the iron's hot and try and get out of the West in the next year or two before Bowen Byram and Kale McCarr form a top end D pair. And especially with this team, you got a guy like Gerard is still 22. Ryan Graves, really good season last year, 25. And then two of the most underrated moves, if not the most underrated moves made in the offseason were they get Brandon Saad and Devon Taves for basically Nikita Zadorov and a couple of future picks. So they really didn't have, they had, they were in the best spot of a team going into the offseason of they have cap space. They have the best contract in hockey. Nathan McKinnon makes th- $6.3 million a year. That is not a lot. Three years. For another three years, that is not a lot of money for a player of his caliber. There, are, Kyle Ocposo on my beloved Buffalo Sabers makes six million dollars a year for the next three. Years. <laughs> okay, that's the best contract in hockey. So this was a team that Joe Sakic, much like Steve Eiserman, who were some of the most comparable superstar Hall of Famers ever. They were basically like the same guy, and now they're kind of the same GM, where they're making all these shrewd moves now. McKinnon did them a favor. He wasn't great before they signed him to that second contract and they got term on that second contract at 6.3. And now he's become a top five guy in the league, but that flexibility allowed them to say, yeah, we'll take Brandon sod for off your hands. Yeah. We'll take Devon Taves off your hands for a couple of picks because we can pay these guys. And because McCarr still has one year left on his entry deal, things like that matter. When you get breaks like that in every sport with a salary cap, it matters, especially in hockey, not so much the NFL, but it's a thing. Baseball with the luxury tax, it's a thing. The NBA, it's a thing. But especially in hockey, the, the thing I compare it to is when you have a quarterback on the rookie pay scale in the NFL that plays well. The Seahawks won a title with it with Russell Wilson. You might see it with Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, Dak Prescott before he got paid this year. Even guys, especially Lamar Jackson and Pat Mahomes, is that you were able to plug a lot of holes because you have a star player that doesn't make a lot of money. And that's what makes Colorado dangerous. And if you have an injury, if you're able to trade a guy down the roster who makes some money who is not necessary, maybe you can have the money to say, I'm just going to take an expensive goaltender off someone's hands like a Marc-Andre Fleury for nothing for my cup run. Yeah, I agree. I don't have anything else to say to that. I mean, it's their their salary cap structure is phenomenal. They've got space to play with. The, the cap structure is 
not even just good this year, it's good going forward because that Brandon Saad contract comes off the books. Landis Gog will need to be re-signed next year, but he's already making five and a half million. I can maybe see a, a one and a half, two million dollar increase, maybe, but he's already twenty-eight, so it's not gonna be, you know, a terrible contract going forward. And other than that, Rantanen's locked up for four more, five more years. McKinnon, like we said, three more years. Gerard's locked up for ugh, the next for the foreseeable future. Um McCarr will get something big uh, at the at the beginning of the year, but if they don't bring Sod back, there's another six million dollars that they've got to spend on him. Uh, you know, so they're set up for the future, not not just this year, which they'll be a cup contender this year, but they're going to be good for another five six years. And then you move on to a team like the Blues, who had one very big exit in Alex Petrangelo, one very big signing in Tory Krug. Other than that. The status quo is maintained, which is a good thing when you're a team that won the cup the last time the season was regular and you were in first place in the West when the season got shut down. Yeah, you didn't do very well out of the bubble, but still you have an entire team with cup rings and you still have maybe you get a little bit more leap out of Colton Pareko now that he's the top right-handed defenseman. You got Tori Krug. Him and Pareko form a very interesting top pair. And then Vince Dunn is on the rise. I feel like Carl Gunnarsson and Bortuzzo on the back end are really solid. But Vince Dunn's a guy where if he made a leap, I wouldn't be surprised. Where you're, you're going to see him play with Justin Falk, a guy who's very sound in his own end, who's going to let Vince Dunn and his speed take over. And then your top pair is Krug and Pareko. Arguably, maybe St. Louis. I wouldn't. You can't say they're better. But all they did this offseason was they traded Jake Allen away and brought in another backup goaltender or uh, they still have Billy Huso, who I, I thought was really good in the AHL for a long time. Now finally getting a shot as a 25 year old. Take me through your thoughts on the blues is kind of the afterthoughts, but a team with the last regular season uh, that was like normal Stanley cup ring coach Trent, I'll let you start off on this one. Um, I, I think it's going to be a very, just like that one, it's going to be a very good season for them. Uh, one of the big pickups I, I think they got was Tory Crew. I've watched him a lot uh, on the Boston Bruins as my girlfriend likes watching the Bruins play. And he, he's a defenseman with 52 points from, uh, from last season out of 75 games. That's, that's a significant amount of points for a defenseman. So I, I think that's a huge pickup there. Uh, but overall, they... It's a very difficult team, and they, they play very, very hard um, throughout the season and in playoffs. Um, I, I'm not too familiar how they did throughout the season, but in playoffs they did very well. Um, maybe Dan can uh, pick up some of the slack that I'm missing out. Uh, you know, the, they looked good. The funny thing is with them though, I mean, you gave the options for uh, Vegas at the beginning of, was it, they're a team that regressed or progressed or stayed the same. And for these top three teams that we're talking about, I think Colorado progressed. I think Vegas stayed the same. And I think St. Louis regressed a little bit uh, with the uh, subtraction of Petrangelo and no major uh, additions. I mean, there, there's, I, I mean, they brought in my guy Kyle Clifford, uh, the big red dog, but he's a fourth liner. Let's be honest, but he'll bring a he'll bring a culture and and uh, and a winning attitude to that team. But they 
they're hoping on Vince Dunn to have a huge breakout year. Uh, they're hoping on Robert Thomas to play well and not get injured. Um, they they got to hope for a lot of stuff with not a lot of extra coming in to help them out with that. And uh, I, I think they regressed a little bit. I still think they're the top. They're they're the third place team in the in the division uh, come the end of it. But we'll see. And then Jordan Bennington has to continue to prove that the first year he played when they won the cup wasn't a fluke. And he had a decent year last year, uh, but not phenomenal. And uh, I think he's got to pick it up a little bit. So we'll see with them. I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to see how they play because I love me some Ryan O'Reilly. Uh, I love those two way forwards that play the game the right way. Um, but I, I, I'm again, looking at this roster and I don't see a lot. I mean, Hoffman's an addition if they bring him on and it depends on what they sign him for. And he can put the puck in the net 20 to 30 times uh, in a, in a long season, but it's not a long season. So if he starts off cold, what, what do they do? Um, yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at on St. Louis. I'm I'm a little lower on on St. Louis than I was last year, um, but but we'll see where they go. And there's no Tim Hortons in the St. Louis areas to jump in front of Ryan O'Reilly's <laughs> car, so uh, that so be, he'll be fine. That should he'll be fine. That should be a bonus. I, I think Jordan Cairo has got to be an X factor on this team because this is a touted prospect, along with Robert Thomas. Robert Thomas, we saw it a little bit. Cairo, we haven't really seen it yet. But here's a young guy in Jordan Cairo who was a high pick. He spent a lot of time up. It just hasn't popped for him yet. He had he was up and down two years ago, had a little bit of time with the Blues, didn't score much. He was up and down again last year, played five playoff games, didn't register a point, had nine points in 28 regular season games. This is a guy now at 22 years old, getting on to 23 years old as we get toward the end of the season that they really need him to be a 30, 40 point winger and a bottom six guy this year. And that's, I think that's a big factor for them. Um, secondarily to the Bennington factor and the goaltending factor of Bennington. He's not an unknown because he's got a cup ring, but you know, I, I liken it to Matt Murray a little bit, a lot of souring on Matt Murray and rightfully so. I mean, I won't bring on coach Allen to talk about his thoughts on Matt Murray, <laughs> but they're not good. He's got two cup rings. He just got paid, but it's hard to find somebody who really believes in Matt Murray as the guy. So, yeah, you can have kind of flash in the pan goalie seasons. I'm old enough to remember a guy named John Casey who once won a Vezina trophy filling in for Grant Fuhr on St. Louis in the mid-90s. That was part of the famous Steve Eiserman year where he scored the one nothing overtime winner in Game 7 to knock out that Blues team after they had traded for Wayne Gretzky. So, yes, it can happen. I'm not saying it will happen, but for a guy like Bennington, he's definitely the biggest, here's how far we'll go. Tell me what his season's like, and I'll tell you how far our team will go. But is a guy to me that needs to be well, mentioned what, what in that Ky- discussion. Yeah, what Kairou needs to do is help Hoffman offset the fact that they don't even have Vladimir Tarasenko for who knows how long to start this season, right? If, if it's going to be the entire season, I haven't seen anything on projections on when he's going to come back. You guys might be able to add something to that, but I mean, this is a team that's missing their best goal scorer, just like Tampa would be without Kucherov. Um, and they're in a harder division than what Tampa's in. So if they don't get goal scoring depth, if Hoffman can't pick up the pace, if, if Kairou can't pick up the pace, they're better than the other teams, but are they better than Colorado and Vegas? I don't think so. And so now the next big question we have to answer on the pod is who's fourth. Who's the fourth best team in this division. Now 
I'm asking you guys as outright homers because Coach Trent's a big Ducks fan. Coach Daniel's a big Kings fan. Are you guys able to keep on your objectivity hat and actually answer this question? Coach Trent, I'll start with you. Who finishes fourth in this division? <laughs> um, my answer would uh, – well, my biased answer would obviously be the Ducks uh, with their um, – against some prospects that were played in the IHF, US, uh, USA Hockey and Team Canada, in particular Trevor Zegris. He, uh, he was phenomenal. He had played phenomenally up in uh, Edmonton. But, um, yeah, I, I'm going to stick with the Ducks. I, I think that last season they didn't really get the narrative that they were going for. They, instead of calling it a rebuild season, they called it a retooling season. Uh, so they didn't get rid of a lot of their players that I, I, I felt that they should have gotten rid of, cleaned their roster up a little bit. I think Getzloff's going to go towards um, – Instead you mean guys like Ryan Getzlaff who make $8 million and haven't yeah, looked at a in 10 years and already won their cup? Right. That was way too long of a contract. Eight eight years we signed him for. Along with Corey Perry, eight years as well. And I'm glad we got rid of him. But um, I, I think Getzlaff may, may jump down to the second line. and might give uh, Ann Pendery the, the helm at the top and we'll bring in Trevor Zegris. Uh, we'll get Sam Still Steele some more playing time. And uh, we'll get some of the guys up in the NHL and just just or in the AHL and uh, bring them up and, and bring up some some speed because the Ducks were desperately missing some speed last year and the year before. So I think we're turning uh, turning the car around, trying to catch up to other teams that have this this speed that we see with the top caliber teams in in the West. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll pump the brakes for a second and let's do our deep dive on Anaheim now since you already got it kicked off. What I will say about Anaheim is an extremely high-end goalie team with John Gibson and Ryan Miller. Now, Ryan Miller is getting up there in years, but he's really, really good and he's played really, really good his entire professional career. Is it Actually, his entire goalie career has been stellar. He was a top-end college goalie at Michigan State, one of the best ever to play college hockey, given his numbers. He's been good for the United States of America when he's thrown on the red, white, and blue. He was a Vezina Trophy winner. He was the 2010 Olympic MVP. And after that, it's just a bunch of high 9-10 save percentage years and goals against that hover between 2-3 and 2-7 for the past decade. Now, the numbers took a tick up this year. But they were still pretty good given how porous the team was. And what I will say about the Ducks also is I still believe in their back end. I still believe in Fowler and Lindholm. Uh, Manson, I'd like to see a little bit more from. Shattenkirk, has he revitalized his career? Jacob Larson is a young guy who hasn't maybe hit his stride yet. You sign Eric Gabranson for depth. But I just look at this roster and I'm saying our Adam, well, our uh, Jakob Silverberg and Ricard Raquel still top six forwards. Coach Dan, I'll let you throw some water on that argument first before I throw, <laughs> throw some more water and another <laughs> squad. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I love what Trevor Zegers did in the World Juniors. It's unreal. 
right? And that's as a USA fan because I can't stand him now after the USA game. As soon as as soon as that clock hit zero, I hate Trevor Zegras, right? Um, a lot of players have lit up the World Juniors. The most recent high-profile one that didn't do well was Jesse Pugliarvi for Edmonton, and we know where that saga's gone. Maybe Just Casey Middlestat? I mean, I'll throw my own guy under the bus. Right? Casey Middlestat right. was the MVP of the tournament three years ago. Yeah. And you, these guys show a lot in, in the World Juniors, and that doesn't mean they're not, they're not going to be NHL stars because Zegris shows all the, all the makings of it. But the NHL is a lot different than playing against just 19-year-olds and 18-year-olds and 17-year-olds. Um, do I see Zegras coming in and contributing yeah, to, a, you know, to a factor where they're going to beat five other teams for that fourth spot? <laughs> no, and I'm and I'm actually very curious, Trent, to see where you think Zegras comes into the lineup. Do you think he slots top six right off the bat? Do they break him in in the third or fourth line? What What do you think? I I think they break him in on the the third line. And because we, we still have Henrique, we still have Getzloff. Um, I, I think they're going to be our one and two centers. But I, I think we can definitely put Zegris on, on the uh, on the power play and, and giving him some room to really move around. And that's what we saw in the IHF is that he's a great passer and he can find space. If, he, if there's a stick that's open, that, that puck's getting to that player. So he, he's really good at finding the space and moving around um, just just from his performance there. But like you said, NHL is significantly different. There's a, a lot bigger boys up in the NHL than there is in IHF. All right, Coach Trent, let me put you on the spot here. Anaheim Duck question. Does Max Comtois stay up the whole year this year? And does he get consistent time? Or is he going to be a guy who doesn't click? You got to... Put him on the taxi squad. You got to send him down again. What do you think? That's a great question because there's, there's been times where he's done very well and we see a lot of good in him. But there's there's been times where it's just kind of uh, non-existent. You don't see him there. So um, I I'm going to say that that he's grown over the summer and and over the non-COVID season as as every hockey good hockey player should. I think he's going to come out pretty strong. I think he's going to come out strong. I think he's going to stay up for the whole season. All right. Coach Dan, who is your fourth place team in the West? It's a good question. Um, Hard hitting podcast here. You know, no, no, no. I asked the tough question. I, I think, I think, uh, let me see. I my guess is going to be uh, Minnesota. That'd be my first guess. Would be Minnesota. Um, I'm not too thrilled with their lineup, but hey, that's the that's the story of Minnesota's life, you mean, right? You mean Nobody's... the fact that they don't have any centers? Yeah, they don't have centers. Who's the number three or four center? Oh wait, I thought I thought Mojo was a was a top six center on Buffalo last year, right? <laughs> I, technically you're correct. He was our number three center. He's a better yeah. third left. Oh, player. don't get me don't get me wrong. I completely agree. Um, but I'm I'm very curious to see how they come in with Kuro Kaprasov, right? Uh, the kid who's supposed to be this absolute stud coming in from from the KHL. Um, and you know, it's they're never they're never a terrible team. They just aren't. No, they're G- and that's you know in part due to their GM deciding not to turn it around and not to go through the rebuild. But you can 
you can you know it's it's death taxes and Minnesota Wild finishing middle of the pack. Well, their top um, their top four on D is really really good. Yeah, yeah. Ryan Suter's phenomenal. Matt Dumba's still good. We'll see if he's still a, a Wild member at the end of this year because there have been trade rumors floating around about him for God knows how long now. But I'm you not know, sure why he makes six million dollars a year. It's not like he's got a ton of money. He makes a little bit more than Rasmus Ristolainen, and he's way better than Rasmus Ristolainen. Yeah, a, a team could make room for him if if they wanted to trade him. So I don't know why the Wild have held on to him for so long. And it, it all comes down to, again, the GM. He just hasn't – they haven't, since it's been a, a rotating door there, it seems like, uh, haven't decided on a way to go. Um, but maybe now is, is when they're you know, trying to trying to turn it around. They've had a couple of changes in the locker room. They sent out Stahl to, to Buffalo. They sent out um, – Oh, who was the other one that they sent out? I can't remember it off the top of my head. But there, there have been a, a couple of, you know, locker room shakeups. Nothing earth shattering, but maybe the GM's coming in trying to ch- to make his mark and to lay a statement. Hey, this is the way we're going to go moving forward instead of just status quo, fifteenth, sixteenth, seventeenth in the NHL as per usual. I don't know. Maybe that changes this year, but I don't. I don't see it changing. I think they're still middle of the pack, which, in a bad bottom half of the Western Division, I think that gets them fourth. So hot take alert, the big question for this team is we've tried to answer some big questions for this team. What is Bill Guerin doing? What is he doing? I, I, I don't, I don't understand. Please somebody help me, help me understand. Coach Trent, help me understand. Why does Bill Guerin trade away Nick Bukestat for a conditional seventh round pick? He doesn't make that much money. He makes 4 million. I get it. That's probably why, but why do you trade Eric Stahl? For Marcus Johansson, when you don't have centers, Eric Stahl makes less money. As a veteran, he's had more rest. He's still been a very good player and your number one center. You trade your number one center, who last year has 47 points in 66 games, who is just two seasons off of a 76-point campaign, even though, yeah, he's my age. He's getting up there. He's 36. What is Bill Guerin doing? Please help me understand, Coach Trent. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I I really don't know what he's doing there. <laughs> I, I really don't. <laughs> right. I think they sell low on Ryan Donato. I think they sell low on they Eric They sold very Stahl, low on Ryan Donato. That was next. Eric I, mean, cause I, I still want to know about the center position. Before we even get away, yeah. getting rid of Ryan Donato for nothing. I don't know. I, I got nothing. I, I got nothing. Again, it's it's. I have no idea what Minnesota is doing. Period. <laughs> <laughs> to quote a line from the great Harry Doyle from uh, Major League, just cleaned up a little bit. Taylor must be thinking. I don't know what he's thinking, but you know, I I don't I I don't get it. I I, I watched a lot of Marcus Johansson last year. He is a good third line winger who can possess the puck, who can play with other good line mates. He is not a line facilitator. He is not a 200-foot center. And I got to think you know that. Now, he sure, he's younger. He's got another year. He's got some term. He helps you out next year. Maybe you feel like this year isn't your year. But that's us trying to find a reason. But as we circle back and you look up their prospect list, too, I mean, in the last couple of years, it's some of the ones they've they've sent away is you get you know, you sign Galchenyuk and then you send him away. You get a young guy in, in um, Luke Kunin, who's a high pick, and then you trade him for an aging depth center in Nick Benino. Yeah, uh, yeah you get a couple of picks in there. Um, 
and you're building for the future. I, I guess it's building for the future. But with a guy like Ryan Suter is your top ticket guy and a guy like Zach Parise, who's your top ticket guy on the forward group. It's yeah. I mean, it's I, I guess it's a tough sell. Maybe 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 Kirill Kaprizov takes takes a step this year. Maybe uh, Nick Bukestat uh, coming in. I think he said they traded him early. They got him from Pittsburgh. I mean, maybe as a Minnesota guy who's making a little bit of money, maybe Jordan Greenway can make a leap this year. Kevin Fiala was actually pretty good. I mean, Victor Rask is Victor Rask is a center. I'll give him that. He's he's probably their number one center as we stand right now. the The top four can carry them very far, but let's to close the loop here on the Wild. So Devin Dubnik, not great. They they send him away in this wild goalie market. They go get Cam Talbot, who's now thirty three. Alex Stalock, now thirty three. They have to retain on Devin Dubnik. Um, they do have Kakinen. Yeah, I was in, about to say, isn't there a guy in the, isn't in the pipeline? For I mean, I maybe this is, we need to get Kapokakinen ready. We're going to get him a lot of looks up top. And then next year, after we get some of this money off, um, you know, Marcus Johansson's contract comes off. Uh, no, he's only got one more year left. Uh, Victor Rask has two more years. Bukestat's a free agent after this year. Marcus Foligno's a free agent after this year. Maybe they're looking to the future to try and get some guy with Minnesota ties who's really good, who they can sign for a lot of money. But, uh, I, but you know, I, I kind of, I kind of agree with you. Uh, I'll, I'll take my pick now just to segue into the next team. I, I, th- I think the Arizona Coyotes are going to finish fourth in this division. Now they've been taking a beating, but boy, I, I got to think between Auntie Ranta, but more importantly. Darcy Kemper and quietly good Aiden Hill, who's at an age where he's ready to contribute that the elite goaltending, even with their injury history can sustain over a 56 game season. And you have a couple of good depth pickups. I like what they did in Johan Larson. He's a very good third, fourth center. He's a guy who fits the Coyotes mold. They lose Carl Soderberg is a little bit older, but they get a younger, better version of Carl Soderberg and Johan Larson, a guy who might get you 40 points playing the way that they do in uh, up in Glendale where you, you know you really roll four lines. And I think when you have a four-line team playing back-to-back nights who works on shot suppression, who has really good goaltending, I mean, they can hit you with Kemper and a healthy Ronta on back-to-back nights, and all of a sudden – you know, you're losing two to one games, you're losing three to two overtime games to a Coyote team that just keeps, you know, stockpiling points against teams that aren't great offensively in your California teams. They're just not, they're just not there anymore. Uh, so I, I'm going to pick the Coyotes for that reason. I, I think you saw better versions of them. Yeah. Huge loss. Taylor Hall walking out the door, but I still think you get some ascension. It's a young forward group that's getting better. Uh, you have Barrett Hayton can maybe take a little bit of a leap, uh, but uh, it's probably an unpopular pick because of what they've lost, but their D stays their exact same. The goaltending stays exact same. I think continuity is going to be a big thing. What do you think, Coach Dan? Well, I, I think you're missing, you know, you've, you've mentioned Taylor Hall as the, the you know, the, the regression and the, and the missing him now. It's, they also had to get rid of Derek Steppen, who was their top line center. Uh and they all they had to do all they got back from was a second round pick and you know 
they're in a they're in a tough situation at the cap, right? You're you're supposed to be a young upcoming team, and young young and upcoming team should have a, a ton of cap space to either make trades or to make uh, signings or to go out and find somebody. And I think the uh, the Coyotes shot uh, took their shot a little too early with the Taylor Hall trade. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find what it was that that ended up becoming. But you look at the Taylor Hall trade. That's Nick Merkley, Nathan Schnarr, Kevin Ball. The first round pick that they sent ended up being Dawson Mercer, who had a great IIHF, you know, uh, time for for Team Canada. And then there's an, even another third round pick that can become a second. Uh, so I, it's I think they they tried to go a little too early. They didn't let their kids get a little bit more experience, and they they said, "Oh, we're doing well for one season," and they didn't stick to what I think is a, a solid rebuild plan. Um, so you've got to hope that Christian Dvorak can step up in that top spot. You got to hope that Baron Hayton takes a huge step. Um, but other than that, I'm not all that impressed. Uh, Connor Garland, can he keep up what he did? Uh, I mean, I think no, it's fair to say that nobody expected him to score at the rate that he scored at. Is that a flash in the pan or is that something that you can expect going forward? Which, you know, I, I loved watching Connor here in Tucson as much as the next Tucson native, but I, I don't know if I can expect 20, 30 goals from him every year. I just, I don't think that's realistic. So Phil Kessel's another year older, uh, Clayton Keller, where, what kind of player is he going to be? Is he going to be that superstar stud or not for them? Um, you know, there was a great rookie year for him and then he regressed. So, uh, and then that that's their forward group, but then you go into their defenseman and the big question hanging over Arizona is what happens with OEL, their captain. He's been their best defenseman for a long, long time. Does he get traded at the end of the year? I mean, how much longer is he going to be a coyote? And if he leaves, where does that leave their defensive group? So I'm not as high on the Arizona coyotes as a whole. I love their goaltending. I think Darcy Kemper and Auntie Ronta can be one of the better tandems in the league the rest of their team I've got a lot of questions about. Coach Trent, I you've probably seen some of the Coyotes this year. What do you think about yeah, the Coyotes' yeah. chances? And you got, I mean, their big X factor for me are Barrett Hayton and Jacob Chikrin is what kind of leaps can they make, um, you know, as, as they get older. Now, Chikrin's now got two years under his belt. He got hurt for one of them. But it, all of a sudden, when you have Oliver ekman Larson, and yeah, Oliver ekman Larson makes a lot of money. But this is a forward group that, or a defensive group that I, I think is well positioned. You have Chikrin and Ekman Larson are your top two left handed and then you have Goligoski and Yalmerson, shot suppressors, possession guys, tough to play against, know what they're doing to really. And then I, I like Osterley on the back end. I, I like what they they still got out of Jason Demers. I mean, that's why they that's why they were in the position they were to actually get into the final eight in the West. So, Coach Trent, what are your thoughts on the Yotes? Yeah, um, I don't think Oliver ekman Larson's going anywhere. He has a no-movement clause, and he's signed out to 2027, 2026, 2027 season. I think he's going to stay. Um, I, I, think that they'll, I think that they'll do well, but I, I don't have a lot of faith in the Coyotes, and I'm going to get crap for that. But um, I, I think that they'll, they'll do well during the season, but I, I don't think they're going to – uh, do fantastic, and um, it, I, I don't think they'll. They, they might make the fourth. They, they might impress us, but I, I think there's other teams um, that will be able to get into that 
fourth position. Um, just looking at, I, I think Dvorak is going to have a good season. Um, I I like Phil. I like a lot of the forwards that they have there. But I'm just, um, yeah, that's that's kind of my input on it. I, I don't watch the Coyotes enough to be able to get give you a great. Um, well, my my big my big question for the Coyotes, and I guess it's kind of uh, to start. My perspective is, uh, and it's it's hard to say unless you watch him and watch him a lot. I didn't get to watch him as much as I wanted to, but to me, Christian Dvorak is one of the more underrated guys in the league, and he signed at a really good contract for under five million dollars for a handful of years. Now, I think he's a top end number two center. He's going to kind of get thrust into the number one center spot this year, but Christian Dvorak was really, really good last year in the style that the Yotes play in that, you know, you want four lines of guys that get you between 30 and 40 points. And then hopefully your guys like Kessel and Schmaltz coming back again. We didn't see Schmaltz at all last year. He was hurt. Now maybe he comes back and you have him and Dvorak as centers who can kind of make this team what their MO is, is that, you know, you got to defend four lines because it's going to be like, okay, do we take away Keller? And then, oh man, this Dvorak line, all they did was just skate the puck below the dots for 60 minutes. And then we can't score any goals on this goaltending tandem because it's really good. I, that's, that's why I like him. Um, at the same time, you know, Ekman Larson's kind of, I, I feel, boy, he's, he's, he's been an elite defenseman. And the problem is, it's just the style of play that the Yotes have had. If he played on a team that run and gun like San Jose, he would have put up numbers like Brent Burns does. If he was, you know, if they were a team that had more pieces on the power play year in and year out, he'd have some points closer to Shea Weber, Roman Yossi, guys like Victor Hedman, guys like Petrangelo. Here's a stat for you. I just looked up. The most goals for defensemen in the last five seasons in the NHL. Brent Burns is number one. He had that. He's had a couple huge years in that. Dougie Hamilton is two. Shea Weber is three. With So Brent Burns at 96. Dougie Hamilton at 74. Shea Weber at 72. Roman Yossi at 70. And then Oliver Ekman-Larsen is fifth with 70 goals in front of Mark Giordano, in front of Victor Hedman, Petrangelo, Chris Letang, John Carlson, Zach Wierenski. So it's, it's kind of like when you look at Oliver Ekman-Larsen's last five years, he has nine goals and 21 points in the shortened season. He has 14 goals the year before, 14 goals the year before that, and then 12 goals after two 20-goal campaigns. This is a, a guy who does the thing you need to do most in hockey, score goals, at a rate better than still most defensemen and on a very tight-checking defensive team. So... I got to think that if he comes out of the gate and they stay, they stay afloat, but he sees that, okay, you know, it's going to be really hard to crack the West. It's really hard to crack this division. Does he loosen up his no trade restrictions? If he feels like a team that's really in contention that wants to bite, say maybe even the Colorado avalanche again to where Byram's not ready, but you had a guy like Ekman Larson for you have the salary. You can get some young pieces back. If you're, if you're Arizona, maybe that's something that makes the coyote dynamic a little bit different, but just to, just to finish off on the Yotes there, uh, it's still Ekman Larson is still a goal scoring machine from the back end. And he doesn't play on near the kind of offensively driven teams that the other guys I just mentioned do. He's never had guys to play with 
like Burns has, like Hamilton has, like Weber, Yossi, Ekman, Larson, being fifth in front of guys, Giordano, Hedman, Petrangelo, Latang, Carlson, Warensky. So, again, just to say that's my pick for fourth is the Yotes. Well, so there, there, yeah, they're my pick for fifth. I, you know, I think it's going to be between Minnesota and Arizona. Uh, and just to put the final nail in the coffin on OEL, it's he's he's been a criminally underrated defenseman his entire career, and he's going to be the deciding factor, I think, for for the Coyotes. And that, the reason I say that is because do you shoot yourself in the foot if you're the Coyotes GM and you ask OEL to waive his no move, which they did. Right, they asked OEL to waive his no move. So now he goes into the season knowing that the team is looking at moving away from him. How does that affect your play? How does that affect your motivation? How does that, you know? And you want to you want to say that every one of these players is a professional and they're going out there and playing, but they're humans too. And if you're part of a team that you know doesn't really want you there moving forward, or you're not part of their plans moving forward, you know how how does that affect you coming out? So. I, I see a lot of strife in the Arizona organization, and I think that's been beat to death with a hammer over the course of the summer. Um, and I don't think that they did themselves any favors going forward into this into the new season. So that's why I, I had Minnesota edge them out for fourth. All right, we got two teams left. Coach Dan, I'm going to let you go on a Kings rant here. Um, actually, I forgot to throw water on Coach Trent a little bit now that I think about it. <laughs> Um, actually, well, no, 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 I didn't. I, I, I was going to go a little bit deeper into the Trevor Zegers, Casey Middlestack comparisons, but you know what? I'm not going to do that because we're almost at 50 minutes already. And, uh, coach Dan's going to talk for three hours and 12 minutes <laughs> um, on the Kings prospects. So coach Dan, well, what I'm going to do though, on, I'm gonna leave it. okay. Um, I, I just wanted to, something that didn't cover. Um, so you, you said that Ian Hill, um, is going to go up to the coyotes and what's going to happen with Kemper and, and Rondon? Uh, are, are they going to get rid of one of their goalies and, and bring Aiden up? Are they going to make make a move and try to get another uh, player that would produce more points? Yeah. That's, a, that's a good question. I, and maybe that's where Colorado goes. Maybe sure. Colorado looks at one of the, the goaltenders on, on Arizona because if I'm not mistaken, they've got a pretty decent, you know, uh, yeah, they've got all, both decent contracts, just over four mil for each of them. So there's definitely room for Colorado to make it. And yeah, that will affect the team uh, going forward. That's a good point, Trent. That's a big question. Uh, you know, the trade deadline is going to be crazy this year. And you, well, it, it's I mean, either going to be crazy or it's not because you've got all the quarantine issues, right? So we might see the most trades or we might see none. Because if you've got, if you trade to a team on the North Division, the player going in has to quarantine for two weeks before they can play. So by that point, the season's over, and then you're going into playoffs for, and playing your first playoff game as your first game with your new team. So who knows how it's going to affect the trade deadline? Maybe we see more trades before the deadline this year than ever before, like you know, in, in the weeks leading up to it, as opposed to the last 24 hours, is what I mean. Well, and not to mention a flat cap too. You still have teams that are in a huge crunch. Like if you lose a superstar player who makes a lot of money and he's on long-term IR for the rest of the season, then you can go shopping at the deadline and figure it out later. There's and there's there's still goalie movement to be had for sure. And there's yeah, there's just looking at it now, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven teams right now that are over the cap as we speak, less than three days before the season starts. So there's gonna be movement in the next three days. There has to be. Um, but we'll see. 
You know what, Coach Dan? I cha- I actually I changed my mind. Let's let's get the San Jose Sharks out of the way. Uh, currently, the Scottsdale Sharks. I was just in that building yesterday. They have their facilities there. There's a bunch of shark stuff up around. Uh, I was in a Barracuda Chandler. Yeah, in the Barracuda and Chandler. Chandler Barracuda. (laughs) So, yeah. So, here's this team. Is there the big question for them is is there a bounce back or are they now just too old? Coach Trent? Um, I I don't know. They still. I, I'm not too familiar with them. Have they made a lot of moves this this off season? I I haven't really heard anything from um, or I haven't seen any big moves. So I, I think they're still a pretty. They, they were quiet. Team. They they sent they sent Devin Dubnik packing, and that was it. Or they or they brought they brought no, the, they brought Devin in in to and they lost Aaron Dell. You have Devin Dubnik and Martin Jones are are your two goalies. But other than that, I mean, they're they didn't really move any money out. One thing they did do was that. Last year, they were able to get guys in a really good contract. They got Timo Meyer into a good contract and only six mil a year. They got Tomas Hurdle in at five six. They got Kevin LeBanc in at four seven two five. You get Ryan Donato for nothing. You got a guy like Marcus Sorensen who's a really good depth guy. Uh, you sign a couple of retreads, but pretty good retreads when they had San Jose jerseys on in Patrick Marlowe, Matt Nieto. You got guys like Carlson and Burns and Vlasic still on the back end who are my age, which is not good. But, you know, maybe Martin Jones and Devin Dubnik can solidify there. Their their goaltending wasn't good, but they play kind of a freewheeling style. You still got Couture. You still got Kane. I mean, it's it's doesn't, you know, you lose Joe Thornton again, but he was kind of on his last legs. And now you got a little bit of a younger forward group of guys that are hungry. I mean, Marlowe's a depth guy, too, at this point, just like Joe Thornton is. But. Is it is this I, when you look and it's like man, it's like okay, Hurdle's still pretty good, Meyer's good, LeBanc's good, Donato's good, Evander Kane's still going to score points, Logan Couture's still going to score points. You got Carlson and Burns on the back end, who maybe after a long rest and a long layoff can at least start the season at somewhere near their MVP level peaks. I mean, someone does anyone want to make the case for the San Jose Sharks as the dark horse fourth playoff team? I know they, they ended uh, last in the Pacific division last year and, and they haven't made a lot of changes. Um, I, I don't expect a lot of out of them without making some more changes. Um, that's just my two cents on that. The, the only case that San Jose has to make that fourth spot is Eric Carlson and Brent Burns come back and play a good season without getting injured, which is a lot of an ask for, Carlson, who's 30 years old, and Brent Burns, who's 35 years old, which I, I constantly forget that he was, what was he one of the, he was one of the 2003 players, right? Yep. Um, one of those 2003 historic draft round picks. And then you've got to hope Logan Couture and Evander Kane can can carry the mail and with some help from Hurdle. I was also eligible that, in the 2003 draft, not for nothing. That was my draft yeah. year as well. Um, I just, yeah, I just, the you know, NHL's biggest miss. Yeah. The only, the only, <laughs> the only draft I ever had to worry about is if World War III broke out. Um, so, but again, yeah, Brent Burns is my age, but, you know, I'm still waiting for my, I'm still draft eligible. So if anyone's listening on the front office side, <laughs> me up for nothing. But yeah, I mean, that the only case for them, and, you know, I, I'd never like talking good about the Sharks, is, is Eric Carlson, Brent Burns, Couture. And hurdle. I'm not a huge fan of Kane, um, but he can score. But that's it. I mean, the rest of their their 
roster is, you know, you know, pretty much scrubs. And I say that with all fondness for Patrick Marlowe, but you send out Joe Thornton because he's on his last legs and you want to get younger and you bring in Patrick Marlowe. He's, he's going to be one of the all time greatest sharks and he's going to go down. And I hope to God, everything, you know, the season going smoothly and the sharks team staying away from COVID and stuff like that. I hope this is the year that Patrick Marlowe passes the games played record but I really think that's all the Sharks have to look forward to this year. I, uh, there's, there's nothing else. I, you know, you want, you play for, you pay for, uh, excuse me, you play for Patty and you say, <laughs> you keep him in a bubble and you say, you're going to get your 45 games to pass that plateau. And then you finish up your season and say, all right, let's get a good pick because man, it would have looked good to have Tim Stutzla in a Sharks uniform. And instead we've got an aging Eric Carlson. So let's go get our next pick instead. And I, and I think that's all they have to look forward to, honestly. All right. We're almost at minute 57 of the podcast here. And now it's time for Coach Dan's LA Kings corner. So, <laughs> All right, Coach Dan, let me at least tee you up a little bit here first. And Coach Trent, feel free to throw water at any point. I know you're, I know you're a Ducks fan. I mean, I, I'm <laughs> expecting you to do it. All right, Coach Dan, here are the big questions. Question number one. How many years away are they from being a real contender again? For the cup or for the playoffs? For the cup. Three. All right. Question number two. If they, by chance, get a rejuvenation from some of their older guys, specifically Jonathan Quick, Drew Doughty, Kopitar, and they start hot, does management panic trade one of these kids to try and pick up a superstar or a piece, or are they going to stay the course? Uh, it depends on the superstar. Uh, I trust in the in the organization to to keep going they've been very very quiet if they wanted to go after a superstar they could have made a couple of offer sheets they could have done you know a whole plenty of different things and they haven't um they've preached patience this entire time uh the interesting one that i know is out there which i don't necessarily agree with is the line a situation because we've got so many centers in the organization we need a scoring winger and you could say that that's trying to panic and bring in a superstar too soon, but line is still only 21 or 22. So he would fit in with the, the youth group. Um, I know there's been comments lately about Pierre-Luc Dubois, which I don't see as a, as a possibility because we've got so many centers. Um, uh, coach so Trent, I, don't, I, I was expecting you to throw water and say like, Oh, coach Dan, you don't want Pierre-Luc Dubois. <laughs> So if, if, if Columbus comes to you tomorrow and says, give me a first rounder and Turcotte for PLD, you tell them no? No, it depends on the trade. Like I, I probably would make that trade. Um, I would put a lottery restriction on it, right? Because I think the Kings are- Oh, no dice there. You're a bad team. I'm trading you PLD because I want in this lottery. No, you expect us to be bad for two more years then. If you think we're that bad this year, then no. We, you can have our eight or ten pick next year if we get a lottery pick this year. So, that I, you know, I think I'd do that if it's if it's a thing. Other than that, you know, I, I really liked what I saw out of Turcotte, man. I really liked watching him in the World Juniors. I think he's the closest that the Kings have to an NHL-ready prospect, and that's over somebody who I'm assuming you're going to talk about or ask me about in just a second in Quinton Byfield. Um, I, I actually wasn't. This is a this-season preview. I don't think you see Byfield this year. 
I agree. I don't I, think. Or, I, and that's or Coach, I Coach Trent, this is, this is another, uh, in case of emergency, break glass. If you want to throw some water on uh, the Quinton Byfield train, now might be a good time to do it. I don't know how much World Juniors you watch. I, I'm not not familiar. Look, with, look Byfield with is not player. Look, I, I'm not I'm not raining on Byfield's parade. It's 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 weird to try and fit into Team Canada, and they really didn't play any meaningful games until they got to the gold medal game. So yeah, it was, it was kind of it's kind they're kind of weird to gauge. They and you they, watched that that gold medal game, and Quentin Byfield was the person out there for the last five minutes of the game. I mean, they threw him out every other shift. I thought uh, I thought my guy Jack uh, Quinn got better as the game got actually more serious. To me, Jack Quinn almost looked like. This was a kid who got taken as a scoring winger. I guess I'll go on a Sabres tangent here. He he got picked up as a scoring winger, but all of a sudden it's like, boy, this is a really responsible, crafty, passing, two-way big guy. This might be our number two center of the future, and we didn't even know it. You don't want Jack Quinn to be a number two uh, passing big guy, though. That's not what no, you I, want from him. I, I, I get you. All I'm saying is that I, I, like that I, I, like, <laughs> I like that he was able to say, yeah, I can yeah. be this kind of Swiss Army knife guy. Both of them took a role, um, and and there's been a ton of topics and conversations about whether Stutzla or or Byfield, and why didn't the Kings pick Stutzla? Because he's definitely the more NHL ready player, and I don't argue with that fact. Stutzla is more NHL ready, but like I said, the Kings are three years away from contending, and they don't pick a player to be on the NHL roster the next year, or who's the best player next year. They pick the player to be the best player who's going to have the best NHL career. And I think that gets lost on a lot of people. So they picked Byfield with the understanding that, yeah, he's a project and he's raw and he's young. But in three, four years, when he's 22, 23, going into his prime, they're betting on the fact that he's going to be better than Stutzla then when they're trying to contend. So do, do they keep Byfield in the AHL for a few years or do they bring him up to the NHL? It's, well, that's, that's going to be an interesting thing because if – everything was normal he wouldn't be able to play in the ahl this year he's too young so he'd have to go back to the o um but with the ohl not starting up this season i think the kings are in the best uh position possible to take advantage of what's happening around the world this year and that means players like byfield and kaliev will probably end up getting ahl time while the ohl is in uh while the ohl has been canceled or while it's been you know in in suspension so I think the best course of action is to get him playing against players that are his size for the first time in his life and then get him, you know, the confidence playing against that. Uh, so, yeah, I really hope that they're able to play him in the AHL this year, play him on the rain, get him against the Roadrunners. Who knows? Maybe in two or three months we'll be able to go over to the TCC and watch Byfield and Cali have light up the Roadrunners. So, I don't know. We'll see. All right. Coach three or question three, Coach Dan. Hard-hitting questions here. Explain to me that the Kings aren't the worst roster in the Western Conference. Or are you just going to say, yeah, we're the worst roster in the Western Conference right now? Or are you Uh, going to say Chicago's goaltending is so abysmal, it's now them? In the Western Conference, (laughs) I think think that's harsh. I think the Ducks are below them, honestly. Uh, We've still got a a number one elite center who's producing at nearly a point per game. But but look at (laughs) at your defenseman. I mean, you guys voluntarily will pay Olimata money to play hockey for you? Yeah. And outside of Drew Drew Doughty, you have number seven and eight defensemen. That's something that at least Anaheim can hang their hat on. And they 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 have the goalie that's closest to quick in his prime, but still in his prime. 
I disagree with that seven and eight. I think Matt Waugh and Sean Walker have definitely proven that they're okay. They're uh, five and six guys. Eh, I, all right. I'll let you have that. I don't necessarily agree. Um, I think you'll see an out or a coming out party for Mikey Anderson as a top four defenseman who has, or who is going to make the roster this year uh, right off the bat. Um, and I mean, then from there, technically you're correct because there aren't three defensemen better than him on the roster. <laughs> oh, I can't wait till we do uh, the East for you. So I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing the East with Brad. I'm, no, I'm not letting you guys come in on the East. I'm doing the okay, East so with Brad and Max. You'll throw, it, you'll throw it. You won't take it. Um, <laughs> hey, if you want to stay on for the next pod, we're recording it here soon. If you want to throw some shade at Buffalo, you can stay on the line. <laughs> no, I think you'll see an out uh, coming. Or go out ahead, throw it now. I went on saber tangents. You want to, you want to, you want to, yeah, you uh, want your second line center to be a 38-year-old player <laughs> and call it good. But a really good, really good 38-year-old player. 36. <laughs> he's my age. He's 36. 36. All right. He, he ain't done yet. You're, you're pinning your hopes on Dylan Cousins, who although had a great oh, no, no. Do you not disappointed forget, we, do you not forget we added Taylor Hall for absolutely nothing? Just money. It was just money. We yeah. don't have to give up anything. He's now yeah, on our roster, and you have a line of Taylor Hall and Jack Eichel you got to contend with for 56 games. Okay, so you, so you got two players. Oh, that's – ooh. I, th- I think Sam Reinhardt and a now 16-pound of muscle heavier Rasmus Dahlin might have something to say about it. Dahlin, Dahlin I'll give you. Reinhardt, eh. He's a, he's a second middle, line guy, but he's now he's a second line guy. Now he's a second line guy. That's okay. Eh, he's second or third line. All right. <laughs> but anyway, uh, no, I don't think they're the worst roster. I, I think Chicago's worse, especially since they don't have Taze, they don't have Doc. I, you know, I don't even think that's close. Um, I don't think the Ducks are as good. I think the Kings will pass them up. I, um, I kind of want to do a podcast one of these days for like five minutes with um, my mother and Coach Ruben talking about Olimata. <laughs> I would love it. I'd love to hear it. I actually, I, that wouldn't be clean enough for the kids, and now, because of my mother. Well, yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. That tracks. <laughs> I've met your mother. She's a, she's a lady. Love Boy, does she hate Olimata. I mean, my <laughs> goodness. I, I don't. I, um, I get it. I guess. I mean, but still, like, she goes in hard on Olimata. Like, even to the point that it makes Coach Ruben blush, and Coach Ruben is no fan of Olimata. But. So anyway, you've you've got your you've got your middle depth for the Kings, which at the moment looks like Andre Kopitar, looks like, and and I'll talk about him in a second. Gabe Velarde looks like Leah Shanderson and Blake Lazat. Um, at the moment, you might have Michael Amadio in there somewhere. You might have Jared Anderson Dolan in there somewhere. But the fact that they might have their first legit second line center since the decline of Jeff Carter and Gabe Velarde, uh, I think will give them a strong case to have a good one-two punch. Uh, because no matter what his age, I think Kopitar is still an elite number one center in the league. Um, and I'm biased, but uh, Gabe Velarde, I think, is going to push for a Calder trophy. Came in last year, had seven points in 10 games, scored his first goal six seconds into his first shift, um, and had somewhere along the lines of 25 points in 34 AHL games. And uh, it's, Hudson Fashing did that once for Buffalo, too, and I was really excited once, too. Yeah, and how many points does he have overall in his career? About <laughs> seven more than I do. Yeah. <laughs> about seven <laughs> points in how many games, but I think Gabe Velarde is going to come out and push for the Calder. I don't think he'll win it. Cause I think you've got just and I think you've got Kaprizov and all those on the East coast that are going to get a little more attention, but he he's ready. I mean, he's a number 11 overall pick and he's finally over his issues, his back issues. He's gone into the seat or the off season with his, with the intent to actually train as opposed to rehab for the first time in his career. He's coming into camp 20 pounds heavier and better conditioned than 
last season. Uh, so I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. Uh, who knows with Leo Anderson? He's been over in Sweden, and we all know the the drama that was New York there. Um, but the Kings are weak on the wing, and that's where they've been weak for decades. Um, Martin Furks, your second line winger. Jeff Carter's your third line winger now. Uh, and I don't know. Now going on to the goaltender, and you're you're talking Jonathan Quick and and how how he's had a poor season. But you look at ten games he played somewhere. I, in the I didn't say he had a poor season. Oh, sorry. Everybody else has been I, saying I, he had I said that John Gibson does his best Jonathan Quick in his prime impression, and, and John Gibson is still in his prime. Yes. Now, if you look at the stats for, for Jonathan Quick, and I don't have them in front of me, but um, you go at it at a, in a 10-game schedule, right? And he played about 40 games last season. Uh, the first start of the season was terrible for the entire team and terrible for Jonathan Quick. Had like an 8-8 save percentage or something like that. Uh, the next 10 games brings it up to 9.0. Uh, the next 10 games brings it up to a 9-1. And then the final 10 games when the Kings went on a seven-game winning streak against teams like Colorado, Vegas, Pittsburgh, Anaheim. So not not fluke teams. He had a 9-2-7 save percentage in those last games. So Jonathan Quick got better as the season went on. Well, and and he's reason- had a time to go for this whole offseason and... Yeah, I think he'll be fine. Well, and the reason I'm always so upset when Cal Peterson's get got brought up is because I, the kid can play goalie. He's a, yeah, he's a kid can play. I so, mean, the kid can play. If if Quick puts up a nine one or you know a, a nine oh five, and then you've got Cal Peterson coming in and putting up a nine one or nine one five, a little bit better than Quick, which I think he's going to be. I think you have the makings of a decent team on Los Angeles as long as things go right and they don't lose people to injury and stuff like that. I don't. I think they're in the conversation for the fourth up until the last third of the season. And then I think they fall off. All right, Coach Trent, do you pick the Kings to finish last in this division? I don't. I'm not as meet as Dan. Um, I, I, I picked San Jose to be the last, but some some notable things that we should should remember when we're talking about the teams do you two, is... Do you two dislike each other's team more, or do you both kind of save it for San Jose? <laughs> Ooh, it depends good, the night that I'm that the team's playing. If we're playing against San Jose, then yeah, it's San Jose. If it's the Kings, then it's the Kings. But uh, yeah. you know, I, I always root for the Kings in San Jose to be at the bottom of the pack, <laughs> which I'm sure Dan does for for the Ducks as well yeah. and for San Jose. Um, but something to remember with the Kings is your your top core or Kopitar, uh, Dustin, or Dustin Brown, Jeff Carter. Uh, Drew Doughty, Quick, they're all above 30 years old. Uh, I mean, Kopitar's 33, Dustin Brown's 36, same with Jeff Carter, he's 36, Doughty's 31, and, and Quick's 34. Uh, when you get up there, it's, it's sometimes it gets tough to keep up the pace with all the, the youngins. So that's, and uh, you start to get injuries, and that, that'll be something interesting to see. Uh, Doughty, has his contract out to the 2026-2027 season, Kopitar's to 2023-2024. Uh, that's a lot of years for, for some of those old players. Yeah, yeah. Kopitar and Daddy are signed for a while, and you know they are one Kopitar injury from being the worst team in the in the NHL. I, nah, I, no, I think... they, they wouldn't be as bad as they wouldn't <laughs> be as, as bad as Detroit, but they're one Kopitar injury away from being the the second or third worst team in the NHL. I, I, I give you that. I think you're going to get the same kind of issues that the Ducks had with, well, Kessler, uh, Perry, 
Um, some of those Jeff, Jeff Carter spending more time on the beach than actually getting ready for a season. Yeah, <laughs> enjoying his enjoying his two cups that he won here yeah. instead of in Columbus. I mean, if you told me anybody that's <laughs> gonna have that gets laugh periitis of losing yeah. the eye of the tiger and just taking your exorbitant paycheck and living it up in Southern California, Jeff Carter is the secretariat of that race. Yeah, no, I I agree. <laughs> I you know I I love Jeff Carter and I love what he's done for LA, but he's only got you know, two more years on his contract. So this year and next year, and he, he won't be brought back Dustin Brown. It'll be interesting to see what they do with him. Um, but you know, the fact of the matter is Kopitar still puts in uh, a 0.90 points per game pace, right? So he's almost scoring at a point per game. Dustin Brown is good for 40 or 50 points and has been, he was good for 62 years ago, was good for 45 last year in a shortened season, uh, despite being 36. So they're still putting up points. And yeah, age is going to catch up and they should still decline and stuff like that. But the, the Kings aren't trying to contend right now. Uh, they're waiting for their Turcots, their Byfields, um, their Kuparis, their uh, Bjorn Fots and all that stuff to come in, their Kaliyevs. And the hope is in three years, your third line, if they bring Dustin back, will be Andre Kopitar, Dustin Brown, and Alex Iafalo as a third line, not as a top line. And if you've got Kopitar as a third line center, I think that's still a competitive, a cup competitive team. Uh, if you've got Byfield and Velarde or Byfield and Turcotte down the middle before him. So, Do you think those players will go for that, though? I mean, they've been top line players for a long time. Uh, do you think they're willing to hand off the reins like that and, and play at a third line or a second or third line? after playing the first line for so long. One of my favorite things about the Kings is that none of these players seem to have that Corey Perry attitude. <laughs> they, Even Jeff they, Carter? No, he's been on the second and third line for the past two years and hasn't complained one, hasn't complained once. Yeah, but what about when they put him, put him on the fourth line? He's not going to be there. I, I don't think Jeff Carter will be there in three years. I think he's done after two. So, like I said, I think Kopi and Dustin Brown will come back after after these two years. Come back for you know, Kopi's got two more years after that, but Brown, I think, will sign a retirement contract, and uh, I think they'll go for it one more time. But um, I think they'll be fine. Dustin Brown has been a consummate leader his entire career. Kopitar has been a leader his entire career. He's never shown any sort of uh, attitude or ego. Um, I think he's one of the most down to earth players in the NHL. Um, I think they'll be fine. They won't. They won't be good this year. I, I. I think they'll be better than the Ducks. I think they'll be better than the Sharks. But I don't. I don't think they push for a playoff spot after the second third of the season. All right. Let's put a bow on the LA Kings. I got one final question for you, Coach Dan. Other than your wedding day, was meeting and getting a picture with Dean Lombardi the greatest personal experience of your life? <laughs> oh, that was awesome. Uh, he came to a, a Tucson Roadrunners game to watch the rain and uh, he was walking up the stairs and I flagged him down. He sat down and had a, had a short little talk with me, took a picture and then walked away. No, it was not because the day the Kings won the cup in 2012 was the first time me and my now wife ever guessed was that was that night. So I will always remember the 2012 cup for multiple reasons. So that would be my best night. Oh man. Well, that's a good answer. I can't, I can't fault you for that. I know it was high up there though, for sure. All right. Yeah. So it was awesome. But all right. One final question before we end this episode of the pod, who comes out of this division to go to the final four coach Trent. Ooh, um, that's a great question. 
That I, I'm gonna have to lean with Colorado. I, I think Colorado is gonna be the one that's um, gonna take it all the way to the Stanley Cup final. I, I just think they're a fantastic team, and they have a lot going for them right now. And I think they're gonna build on that throughout the season. Once you have momentum, it, it's hard to be stopped by another team. Coach Dan, Nathan McKinnon's gonna put on a clinic. All year, uh, it's it's going to be the Nathan McKinnon sh- McKinnon show in the Western Division, uh, and I don't think there's any sort of real competition for that. So my answer is Colorado as well. I I mean I already said it, but I'll make a three for three. Are we sure Nathan McKinnon is the best player on his team? Yes. All right. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he's the second. Yeah. He's the second best player in the NHL. I mean, I, I I love I love everything Rotten does. I mean, I just I I those two together, and now you got you know the future is Bowen Byram and Kale McCarr is your top pair. Um, that that is a Red Wings mid nineties ish type roster with when Lidstrom and Konstantinov were at their peak, and were, I mean, still probably the best pair I ever remember seeing. Just in terms of everything yeah. they brought to the table. Well, we'll see. Byram and McCarr won't be playing together for the next two years or so. Uh, so there, there's time for that to come together and see what they bring. Um, but no, I, I think Nathan McKinnon is by far and away the best player on that team, hands down. Uh, and it's not even close. Oh, man, that's rotten and makes more money. Not that I that means care. anything, but Rodden, well, the reason rotten makes makes more money is because he's worth what the, the contract he got. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm not saying he's not. I'm not saying he's not. I just think that you pick. Connor McDavid first, you pick McKinnon second, and then you pick five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten other players before you pick Rotten. And that makes it not even close to me. All right. We've wrapped up episode 12 of the podcast talking about the West. Coach Trent, Coach Dan, thank you very much. And we will see you next time with uh, some more preview episodes with hopefully some good guests. And episode 12 was brought to you by Altitude Home Loans, dannyplatner.com, NMLS number 223426. The company's number is 19 and then 55s. Their Arizona number is 1007669. Altitude Homes is an equal housing lender. Coach Trent, Coach Dan, appreciate you taking some time to shop it up here on a Sunday. And hey, we got hockey in three days again. Let's go. Yeah, hockey's back. No better time of the year. Absolutely. Thank you, Ryan. All right. We will see you next time.